Thank you, Pastor Todd. I'm going to hear if I'm still coming out of the tunnel right now. It sounds like a little bit. Um, so I, my prayer this morning is that what is in me somehow ends up coming out of me. You ever been like so full of something and, and you've been look, thinking about it and working on it? And sometimes it gets about as far as right there, but it doesn't get out. So if you will pray with me, uh, Lord Jesus, I'm excited about this message because you have brought it for people, Lord, people that I love and that I know, and, and this is a message for them, a message of hope and light, and we thank you, Lord, that that's who you are, even in the dark times, that's who you are. So we ask that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see truth, in Jesus' name, amen. So, as Pastor Todd said, we're, we're starting this morning on a very short book of the Bible. It's about four chapters, so we're going to do it. Uh, can you bring my level down a little bit? I'm hearing myself echo, and my ADD is going crazy. Thank you. Can you guys still hear me? Okay. We're going to do four chapters. We're going to do the four chapters in four weeks, which means we're going to cover chapter one this morning. And I'm going to do my best not to steal my brother's thunder later on when all the good stuff is happening. But first, we need to prepare you for this story. Uh, the book of Ruth, maybe, maybe some of you aren't familiar with Ruth. Uh, if you're looking for her in your Bible, she's about eight chapters in or eight books in from the beginning of the book. So she's back toward the beginning after the book of Judges. Now, the, Ruth, the story of Ruth, she, she lived during the time of Judges. And if you read anything about the time of Judges, it was a dark time in, in, the, in the life of Israel and really the whole world. Uh, it was a lot of violence and people uh, doing whatever they wanted to do. In fact, the last chapter, which is the book that precedes Ruth, the last verse of the last chapter says, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And I'll tell you, I see a lot of parallels today with the time of Judges and the darkness of that time. There was nowhere to go. Even, even Bethlehem, look like Moab. Today, sometimes even the church, when not done well, can look like the culture. So this story is about, in the beginning, about three women. But here's what else we know about Ruth. Ruth herself was one of only five women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, Ruth was a Gentile. So there's really no reason why a Gentile, much like Rahab, who was the only other Gentile woman, how did a Gentile get into the genealogy of the Jewish Savior? Because God has a love for the Gentile as well. So we're going to see that in the story. What I'd like you to consider as we read through this, because we are going to read through the first chapter, I want you to listen if you hear yourself in the story. I'm guessing that you're going to touch base and relate to one of these three characters. So let's start with verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. 
But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two, these took Moabite wives. The name of the first was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out, so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with, with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the name of her husband, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. All right, let's take a pause right there. What is Naomi talking about with this husband and having a kid and wait until the kid's old enough? The, the culture of that day, in an attempt to take care of widows, instituted a practice that if, if, a, if my brother's wife, if my brother dies and he has a wife, then I am allowed to marry her in order to take care of her and keep her within the bloodline. The problem is Naomi had no more bloodline. Her sons were gone. And what, so what she's saying is, are you going to wait, if I have a baby now, are you really going to wait 20 years before that baby is old enough to be your husband? See, she was thinking in terms of man's culture and man's provision. Naomi was thinking in her love for her daughters, I can't provide for you. I don't have a man to provide for you. So you need to go find a man. And I'll say for some of you, and look, I'm going to be talking a lot to ladies this morning, and I'm not one, so I don't know everything. Amen. I should have got a name. My wife will say amen. But I will tell you from, from counseling for many years and trying to listen to my wife's heart of 31 years now, some of you women are believing lies about your limitations and about who you are. This isn't about making woman we are strong statements. It's about woman I have who is strong. It's not through a man. Now we'll see later in the story that God can use godly men to represent himself. But just know that the only man who can ever take care of you fully, and, and I will say this the other way around too, gentlemen, the only, the only being, the only person who can take care of you fully and is fully trustworthy is the one who made you. So be guarded against giving so much of yourself to another human being that if they slip or if they leave, you then forget who you are. 
So let's look at the story. Somebody told me last time I preached, and I took this as a compliment. They said, you know, you let the word speak more for itself this time, and that's good. I didn't take that badly at all. But sometimes the word itself is sufficient. I say sometimes. Hear the irony there. The word is always sufficient. But let's just take it for, for what the message is. Later on in the story, I'm gonna, I gotta stick with chapter one. I gotta keep pull, pulling myself back because I wanna jump to chapter two and three and four. But in this chapter, we're looking at women who are, in, who are suffering. They're in a dark time. I'm not faulting them for looking to a man. They're trying to survive. Have any of you been in a place where you're just trying to survive? You can't, your theology isn't making sense right now. You're not seeing the promises. You're not experiencing the peace. So these women are in that place. And let's look at the decisions and how they handle it. They're together in the journey, but they make different choices. First, let's look at Orpah. Now, that's twice I've said her name. I'm promising you before the end of the day, I will call her Oprah. I'm just letting you know, okay? Side note, I actually, I actually saw a story that said Oprah's name was supposed to be Orpah, and her mother misspelled it. Seriously, I don't know if that's true, but because but, she comes from a godly family as well. First, let's look at Orpah. Now, she's a Moabite woman. She grew up in that culture. She was not familiar with the one true God. We know that the Moabites have a bad ancestry, a bad genealogy. They come from Moab, who was the daughter of a woman and her father. Lot and his daughter coming together created Moab. So the lineage, it was just a dark background that that whole culture had. They didn't, they didn't honor the, the, the one true God. So that's all Orpah knew. Now, she was drawn to her mother-in-law because of the relationship. How many of you connect with people, not because of their theology, but because they're, they take care of you and they love you? How many of you came into this church because somebody you liked and respected invited you or said, why don't you come join? See, that's normally how we come into faith, quite honestly. We connect with somebody who is loving us and caring for us. That's a good thing. But then in verse 15, when Orpah is right up to the opportunity to continue the journey, verse 15 says, but she went back to her people and to her gods. We never hear about her again. She did make the book. That's a lot to be said for that. But I think she may have missed what was best for her. See, this was the best opportunity in this moment, in this dark time, for her to begin a new journey in her life. God had even provided an escort in the form of Naomi. Some of you have been provided an escort into this next phase of your life in this new journey, and it's scary. If the whole notion of following God into a new way of living is a little scary for you, then maybe a good entry level into that is through life groups. See, life groups is where you just learn about life and you hear other people sharing life and you talk about Jesus and you learn from one another. I mean, I'm a, I'm, I facilitate life groups and I love hearing how other people have come through dark times that inspire me. You don't go there to get all the answers. 
You go there to do life with people who are seeking the one who has all the answers. If you haven't heard a definition of life group, that's my best definition. It's sharing life and, and seeking Jesus. If you're trying to do this by yourself, I just want to give you a heads up because I'm an expert in this too. If you're trying to do it by yourself, you're probably going to fail and get discouraged. And in my case, as I did for 10 years of my adult life, I kept going back to my old gods because I didn't think the, one, the real one would have me. Don't believe that lie. Just keep moving forward in the journey through your fear and connect with somebody that can help you take the next step. So let's look at, let's look at Naomi. Maybe you can relate to where she is in the story. How many of you are moms or grandmoms or spiritual moms? How many of you? Okay, no guys raise your hand. That's good. So how many of you guys are in a position where you're a parent or a father or a grandfather? Or maybe you're mentoring somebody. Sometimes our mentors get discouraged. They get tired. We look up to them. We, we, we hope that they got all the answers and, and then one day we'll, we'll come to them and they may say, you know what, I got nothing for you. Amen, Eric said, he, he and I were there. See, the mentor is never meant to be Jesus. But the mentor or the person can, maybe can help you find Jesus. Naomi started her life in Bethlehem with her husband who was from Bethlehem in the place that Jesus was born. Now, there's some good things that came out of Bethlehem. But I will say to you that somewhere in her life, she started well, and then the pursuit of prosperity, her husband and her, not necessarily sinful. We don't know whether he was called to go there or not. So we really can't judge whether Abimelech Amalek, you know, you know who I'm talking about, her husband. <laughs> we don't know whether he was, what he was chasing. Maybe he just wanted to feed his family. Sometimes, you, you know, husbands, we try to make choices. We're just trying to feed our family. But here's what we know. Over 10 years, she kind of got away from her God and from her people. Maybe you're a Naomi who started life in the church. You started in relationship. And then you got married and you had kids. And before you know it, you got, quote, no time for church and no time for serving. I will say to you that God in his love for you is, is going to call you back home. He may, I'm hoping he's doing it right this morning. Because all of us can get off track. And God is so merciful and so gracious I don't agree with the later theology of Naomi who said, God, God is just ticked off with me. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna address that in a minute. Maybe you're a wife right now whose husband is not quite into the whole God thing as much as you are. Don't raise your hand on that one, please. No elbows. I'm saying everything in you wants to keep rocking his boat until he gets wet. That's not your job, ladies. From somebody who rocked too many boats and chased, chased people away, that's not the best way to do it. The thing is, is to create a boat for your family that includes your children, that it's God-centered, that your husband sees something and he wants to get into the boat. Your job's not to throw him out and get him wet and then bring him back when he's better. That's the Holy Spirit's job. 
sometimes women, you have to spiritually lead toward Christ until your husband's ready. My wife held the fort. She held the household. She made sure my daughter was raised while I was trying to find Jesus. So don't underestimate, your job isn't to change him. Your job is to make sure your house is in order as best you can and keep your house in order until God and your husband are done doing business. Pastor Todd said we could like challenge each other this morning, so I got free, free license today. Um, what I also love about Naomi is, and I think this is in a sense sometimes what God does, he says, look, you got a choice. This is gonna be hard, you come with me. This is gonna make, this, you're gonna have to do something different if you're gonna follow me. It's almost like God says, look, count the cost. Right? That's in Scripture. Jesus said nobody builds a house or nobody makes a journey until they count the cost. This Christian thing is not easy. Amen. No amens on that? See, I know a lot of you out there, and I know that what you're experiencing as you follow Christ isn't easy. But I'm going to tell you, I know what the alternative is. It's still the best road to travel. But once Naomi said, and I believe Jesus would say this too, if you're on board, are you ready? Then we're locked in. We're connected now. You can't get away from me. You can do nothing to separate me from your love. You're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna, you're gonna get down rabbit trails. But if you are in me and with me and you have, you have declared my testimony is true, then you're mine. I would say that many of you in this room, you have been bought and paid for. You're just struggling to be an obedient slave. You don't like that whole slave word. I get it. But I would rather be a slave to Christ than free in hell. And I've tasted a little bit of both, so I'm just telling you. Some of you are parents, and you're trying to continue raising your adult children Don't raise your hand on that one either. See, Naomi had adult children. They weren't her child, but she adopted them. That's what Christ does with us. He adopts us. But I will tell you, as a, I'm not still trying to raise my adult children. Let me me make that clear. She's sitting over here, so I need to clarify that. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) I'm not still trying to raise them. I want to love them and influence them. But I, but, I had to hand them off to Jesus. We must give our adult children the freedom to choose, but don't give up on them in your prayers. Don't give up on your adult children. Look for opportunities. Now, I'm not talking about your little ones. Your little ones are corralled. They're in your house. You own them. I'm not talking about those. Well, and see, they're disobedient too, right? But your adult children have got to find their way to Jesus. They've got to find their own path and we need to be patient and loving as they're on their journey to Jesus. I will always remember, and I got, I got permission to uh, share this. 
I will always remember Robin Ford. Bringing Matthew up here as an adult. And I check with him. He's good with this. She said, I want you to meet my son, Matthew. Now, see, I never met Matthew. I had heard of Matt, but I never met him. Except this mother, who I known, had known for more than a decade, whenever I'd see her, she'd say, make sure you say a prayer for Maddie. Just say a prayer for Maddie. Now, Matt will tell you that the blood of Jesus is what saved him, but he would also tell you that the prayers of a mother finally broke the, broke the door. So to watch him come from just being introduced and praying together and become a responsible father and husband, and he's still, he'll tell you, he's still a work in progress. Hello? <laughs> We're all a work in progress. But he had to make that journey in his life, and it started with just coming up and praying with somebody and saying, I need, to, I need some things to change. That's what this church, that's the ministry of this church. We're still trying to build in the processes to do that, but know that if you're here, especially if you're visiting, everybody here comes from somewhere. And most of us don't, don't like where we came from, but we know where we're going. So we're all a work in progress. We have in this, in this room, we have uh, faithful parents. We have what I call surrogate parents. And we have spiritual parents. If you've experienced suffering at any age, do you know that there are some who are younger that desperately need your wisdom? I don't care whether you're a teenager. You got more wisdom than somebody in middle school. If you're in your 20s and you made mistakes, you got more wisdom for that teenager who's about to make the same one. If you think that your life is over, you don't have a purpose, you don't know what you're doing, look around you. Somebody could benefit. If from nothing else, they could benefit from your mistakes. Amen. Did you ever think your mistakes would ever have any value? They do. And I know that from hearing from young people who appreciate somebody being willing to be open and honest and say, man, look, I messed up. And they're like, what? You did what? You know, it's not that we're proud of it, but it's an opportunity to have purpose in life. At this juncture, Naomi has no purpose. She was so distraught, she just went back to try to get some food. From her perspective, she wasn't on a spiritual journey to return to her God she was just going to find something to eat and try to survive. What she did know is she had a greater purpose that God was already aligning was to help to birth into the genealogy of Jesus. She mentored and brought back to the homeland of Bethlehem the great-grandfather of David. That's crazy. The purpose is... The purposes of God in your life are so much larger than what you're going through today. You have a darkness and you're just trying to survive. From your perspective, it's just day-to-day -day survival. What God is doing is, is something in you and probably trying to burst something out of you 
that you have no idea. And you might need somebody else to help you see what those purposes are. Now, I will say this as a caution. I'm really promoting the idea that we need to connect with people and need mentors. We need to maybe consider being a mentor, whatever word you want to call it. Just love somebody who needs love. But I'll give you one caution from a recent national event that occurred. Recently, there's a a pretty well-known Christian by the name of Josh Harris. Well, he spent most of his life as a Christian. But Josh Harris was in charge of a large church. Uh, He recently, over the last couple years, has both began to the process of divorcing his spouse and his family, and now has declared that he would not consider himself a Christian. Now, how many of you have ever even heard of Josh Harris? Okay, so maybe about half of you. The point, the point being, for many people and many families, he was, he was a devout leader, somebody they looked up to. I actually spent last weekend with someone who sat not only within his church, but had also been corrected by him personally. And now the guy who was holding him accountable and correcting him is now saying all the books that I wrote, everything I said, I take back. In fact, I'm not even a Christian. Can I say to you that as you're connecting to a mentor or to a person you trust, just know that even good people can fall off the wagon. They can get ideas in their mind that don't agree with Jesus, and you have to know that there's only one who is trustworthy. It ain't me, and it's, ain't, it's not Eric, it's not Pastor Todd. We're not, we're not Jesus. We do our best. We, we, will, we will hold each other accountable, but what I'm saying to you is don't put all of your trust, all of your faith into anyone. All of us are susceptible to, to being deceived. My prayer for, for Joshua Harris is that he'll be like a Peter who for whatever was going on in Joshua Harris's life, he's denied Christ. Well, Peter got, got scared and denied Christ too, but he came back. So I, I hope you'll join me in that prayer because there's a lot of hurt people in this culture. When a man of faith falls, he brings, takes a lot of people with him. The key is that we don't begin to to put our trust and our faith in a person, but always in our God. If you've been hurt by one of those leaders, maybe some of you left church because somebody hurt your feelings. And look, I don't minimize that. Those are legitimate hurts. But don't allow someone else's sin to keep you from your God. That's exactly how the enemy wants to do it. He wants to, put a, he want to, he wants to put a man's face, a sinful man's face in what that man did to you or that woman. He wants to put that picture in the place of Jesus so that you won't come to Jesus anymore because you keep seeing that face. Don't let somebody steal your destiny. People sin. Forgive them. Maybe disconnect from them. Maybe you have to move on from them but don't keep them from your Jesus. Maybe some of you can relate to Naomi. Now finally, we come to the main character, Ruth. 
Can you connect with her situation? She's in a desperate situation, but unlike Orpah, she chooses to move forward. She chooses to, to go into the unknown. I don't know what it's like up out there, but I know what it's like where I was, and I'm going forward. And if you, and if you made that transition in your life, okay. Maybe some of you are standing at the precipice of that right now. Maybe you keep going back and then you keep coming up this place. I know I got to change. I know something's got to change. I'm sick and tired. Okay, let's, let's change something. See, throughout the Bible, God uses circumstances. He even uses dark times to press us past our fear. When we get to a place where I don't know what's in front of me, but I know what's behind me, and I'm going forward. Remember what Paul said? I think I'm gonna mess my man up upstairs. Hang on, I'll wait on that one. See, Ruth, Ruth was seeking relief, but she was also making a decision in her life. She was gonna move forward. She was gonna connect herself to a Naomi, and she was gonna stick it out and see where it took her. We've seen in this church how younger people have connected themselves with some older people, and they just stick with them. Maybe for a, a couple years, maybe longer, but you need somebody in your life who's been some places that can help you through the times that get, that get dark. Tony Evans would call these dark times, he refers to them as detours to your destiny. You see, the detours are when you think you're going along and everything's okay, and then all of a sudden something rocks you, something you didn't see coming. Now Tony Evans does it through the life of Joseph, and if you know anything about the life of Joseph, he kept getting detoured all the time, and, and we can't find anything that really was his fault. Now, this one you can raise your hand on. How many times have you experienced something that rocked your world, and with your best analysis, you didn't see that it was really your fault? It just happened. I bet there's more than that that just raised their hand. How many of you had, have had something happen to you that just kind of derailed you? It wasn't because you sinned. It wasn't because you did anything wrong. Sometimes people die on you. Sometimes people leave you. Now see, Naomi had, and I'm gonna stick with Ruth for a second, but Naomi saw that as, I must have done something wrong. Ruth is saying, I don't know what happened. I, I don't know why we're here, but I know I got to keep moving forward. Sometimes when you're facing a trial or suffering, we can become more focused on relieving our pain than seeking our God. We get so consumed with pain relief that we think relieving pain becomes the primary goal of my life. I just got to get out of my pain. I either got to take a pill, I got to go take a vacation. I gotta find the right person to make me happy. See, when our primary goal in life becomes to relieve the pain, then our pain reliever becomes our God. 
Suffering will either draw me closer to God or it will draw me into a self-centered existence to where feeling better is the only thing that matters. I'm a living example that God can use pain to point you in the right direction. But that means you gotta be willing to give up some of your pain relievers. We gotta stop looking to those people and those things as the thing that I need in order to go forward and to survive. I know how intensely that feels, folks, but it's not true. Ruth needed Naomi's help, but she also needed to find God and to live amongst God's people. Now, her response to Naomi is one of the greatest responses we see in the Bible to God's invitation to follow him. Listen to what she says here in verse 15. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. You know the songs have been written about that about that, uh, and I'm not gonna sing them, but Jesus Culture, Chris Tomlin, where you go, I'll go, where you stay, I'll stay. That's where it comes from. She also echoes a, a, a Matt Redman song too, but more importantly, Psalm 84. She echoes what Psalm 84 says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. See, Ruth made a decision. She was all in. Because wherever she was going was better than where she had been. And she was connected with a woman that she loved and trusted, and she was going to go and see where it took her. Folks, the reason they call it faith is because you don't have everything guaranteed. Some of us are looking for more guarantees before we decide to walk toward faith. It just doesn't work that way. Now, you can come there voluntarily through wisdom and say, look, that's where I want to be. That's the the life I want to live. Or you can collapse at the altar because you're exhausted. Either way, I'm suggesting to you that this way of life, and when I say this way of life, I'm not talking about just church or oasis. I'm talking about Jesus' life. I'm talking talking about looking to him as your savior, but also as your God. Do you look to Jesus to to make your decisions? Do you look in his word and say, okay, what what would Jesus do right here? That's literally what we're called to do. And anytime I don't follow that advice, it always ends up badly. So let's close with the final few verses here. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. 
Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And the story stops right there. So let's look again. Who are you in the story? Maybe you're Orpah. I think that's the last time I'm going to say that because I got it right every time. Maybe you're Orpah. Orpah. See? (laughs) (laughs) Orpah. She was desperate, wasn't she? It wasn't about because she sinned or because she was a bad person. She had a desperate decision, but she returned to what was familiar. Here's what Paul said to us in the New Testament to encourage us. He said, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do, do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have, att- have, have attained. We got to keep moving forward, folks. Now, let's talk about Naomi for a minute. Maybe you relate to her. Now, this is going to sound like a contradiction, but stick with me. Sometimes to move forward, you got to remember where you came from. Naomi returned to where she came from. Some of you came, you've been to a good place. You've been in a healthy place. You've been connected to God. You've been connected to church. And for whatever reason, life, choices, stress, It took you away. Maybe you just need to remember to come home so that you can now move forward. She was desperate and confused. I think she even became confused about her theology a little bit. See, sometimes when we're all messed up, and and Pastor Eric has been very open. When I say messed up, then I say Pastor Eric. Let me me rephrase that. (laughs) But he's been very open in his journey over the last couple years of getting through some things. And I, that's what I love about my brother because we're all in this together. He's, he's been through some, some kidney stuff and, and, and personal pains and things. We all are in a struggle of some kind, but we need people around us to help us for our theology to not get messed up and get, get, get confusing. See, we know that sometimes we experience hardship, but Naomi thought, well, God must hate me. He must, he must be really, really ticked off with me. See, Naomi didn't say, God now calls me Mara, right? Naomi just said, call me Mara. Some of you walking around, yeah, I'm, I'm just a failure. I mess up everything I touch. I'm a piece of crap. I got news for you. That's what you call you. That's not what he calls you. You're allowing your confusion and your depression and your darkness to forget who you, who you are. Your name doesn't change with God unless he changes it. And when he does, it's always for the better. 
Jacob, the deceiver, became Israel. Abram became Abraham. When God changes your name, then you stick with that. But when circumstances cause you to wonder, is this who I am? That's not God. That's confusion and, and bad theology, and sometimes you're, you're surrounding yourself with the wrong people. Let me offer you, for some of you, let me offer you a, a new idea as I'm, I'm, I'm landing the plane here. Some of you don't realize that God does his best, best work in dark times. See, you're so desperately looking for something to be better that you're, that you're missing the opportunity for what he does only in the dark times. There's certain things he can only do in the dark. God created the world in darkness. You ever think about that? It didn't start out in light. The world started out in darkness. God said, let there be light. He was creating the world in darkness. He woke Lazarus in a dark tomb. Jesus was resurrected in the dark. A seed germinates in the ground in the dark. A child is birthed. Generations are birthed in the darkness of a mother's womb. There's a whole lot of good work that goes on there before light hits. In fact, it's dangerous for a child to be brought into the light too soon because they're not ready, right? Sometimes God is doing his best work in the dark. Saul was converted in the darkness of his blindness. His theology was corrected and then his eyes were open. I'm just telling you, listen what he says in Isaiah 45.3. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hidden wealth of secret places. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hidden wealth of secret places so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. You can't change your name when he calls you out. Keep, start moving forward. You've been stuck for a while in where, where you used to be. Maybe you got lost and went back someplace. I'm saying we need to remember where we came from, ultimately, and realize that life is a journey back to him. There's at least two things you can't control. Well, some would say three. Taxes, right, is one of them. But you can't control where you came from and you don't get to control when you check out. One journey starts from God. The beginning of the journey starts with him and the end will end with him. He's asking us to join him so that the end of life is just a transition to more time with him. You're gonna meet your heavenly maker, folks. If you haven't met him yet, you'll meet him. Let's meet him as a friend, as a confidant, as a, as a savior, as the redeemer. That's where the rest of the story is gonna take us. And I'm constrained to steal my brother's thunder because I can't tell you about that. So I'm gonna end right here. But for some of you, just know that Ruth... She, she didn't go back to the familiar. She decided she was gonna trust Naomi and, and trust this God that she had heard about who was providing things that she needed. Get connected with somebody who's tasted God and who is, 
who has been through the dark days and seen that God is faithful. Because they're here in this church, they're here around you, and if you're one of those people, then reach out to somebody who needs some help. Go have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee with them. You don't have to be a preacher. You just have to love them. So this story will be continued. Let's pray. Father God, we know that even as as we have a destiny that that you have mapped out uh, that we should participate in, Lord, we also know that it requires us to make good choices. And somehow you weave all those into your your sovereign grace. So we ask you this morning just to use the, the testimony of, of Ruth and the testimony of Naomi and the testimony of Orpah, Lord, that we would see ourselves, but also that we would see you. You are in the land of Bethlehem. You are providing food for your faithful and for your people, but we have to go to you. We have to come hungry, come, come wanting. Lord, help to stir a heart and a desire for you as we lay down the familiar. In Jesus' name, amen.